This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 12, Demon House. In Gary, Indiana, once stood a house that was claimed to hold over 200 demons. Many experiences were had by all those that came in contact with it, from illness to possession and even death. This once sinister ground is now an empty shell that once held the portal to hell. This is the story of the Demon House. The Ammons moved into their new home in Gary, Indiana in November of 2011. The family consisted of LaToya, her three children, and her mother, Rosa Campbell. Soon after moving into the house, the family started to experience strange occurrences. Throughout the winter, black flies would swarm the front door. No matter how many times they would kill them, they returned. Rosa often claimed to hear footsteps in the basement that would walk up the steps and make their way through the house. They would often hear the doors opening and closing by themselves. Shadow figures were seen pacing the floors of the house as well. Rosa would wake to find muddy shoe prints on the floor daily. She also complained of being choked, as if someone physically had their hands around her throat. On one occasion... Latoya's daughter, the oldest, was found levitating over her bed. Her friend was staying with her that evening and experienced the event firsthand. After calling the family in, they said prayers over her till she came back down. On another occasion, Latoya's oldest son was physically thrown across the room by an invisible entity. The youngest son, seven years old at the time, would often roll his eyes in the back of his head and growl and threaten to kill the family. Something that never happened till being there. Periodically, the family would see a demonic figure in the house. It often changed forms and would sometimes present itself as a black monster. Other times it would appear as an old woman with glowing red eyes, and emit a foul odor. The Ammons also claimed to find an oil-like substance that seemed to bleed from the house. It was found throughout the house and often covering the blinds and windows. The family often heard the sounds of dogs barking, 
but they didn't own any dogs. One night, while laying in bed watching TV, Rosa heard the dog's barks. As she got up to check it out, she could hear scratching at the door, but there was nothing there. The sons often spoke of a young boy in the house that would talk and play with them. They would often play inside of one of the closets in the house. But they were the only ones that could ever see him. Additional strange occurrences would happen around the house as well, such as the thermostat temperature being raised or lowered on its own, cellular reception going in and out, lights and appliances turning on and off, and even the headlights from their vehicles flickering on and off. They often would see their blinds rocking back and forth in the windows regardless of them being shut and no one moving the blinds. On April 23, 2012, a CPS case manager assigned to the family witnessed the youngest child begin to growl and display very strange behavior. The child proceeded to charge at his grandmother's stomach and headbutted her multiple times. The child then turned around and walked backwards up the wall. This was witnessed and confirmed by all in attendance. A further investigation was done at the home by numerous caseworkers and police. They found a patch of dirt under the basement stairs, even though the rest of the basement was filled in with concrete. Upon digging it up, they found multiple children's clothes and women's underwear. They also found multiple candles they believed to be used in a satanic ritual. From that point, the church became involved. They found the oily substance bleeding from the blinds in the front bedroom. They felt a heavy presence and a demonic force in the house. This led them to want to perform an exorcism on Latoya. Reverend Michael Maginot performed a series of three exorcisms on Ammons before fully exorcising her demons. It was later found out these were the first exorcisms authorized by the Bishop of the Catholic Church's Diocese of Gary in over 20 plus years. After that point, the Ammons family, along with their mother, Rosa Campbell, all moved from Gary to Indianapolis and haven't had any experiences since. In 2014, Zach Baggins of popular TV show Ghost Adventures purchased the house for $35,000. He wanted to investigate into the previous claims and see if there was any truth or if it had all been falsified. Upon taking over the house, there were squatters living there. They claimed to never have any encounters of any kind. He then reached out to the previous owners of the house, and they stated they never experienced any type of paranormal activity in the house as well. They had newspaper clippings that told of the Ammons' experiences. Within the articles, family members of the Ammons stated that the claims were false and never happened. After feeling defeated and as though he purchased the house in error, 
A previous resident visited the house. Baggins questioned her to see if she had ever had any experiences there. She told him of her friend staying with her and claiming to feel a presence in the house. She also stated that she never went to the basement because something about it made her feel off. It was later revealed that her brother lived in the basement and was shot and killed. Despite her hesitation, they then proceeded to visit the basement for a few minutes, along with her children. The family did not stay long, and they left shortly after. As they continued their investigation into the house, Baggins claimed to feel anger take over him. He then attacked one of his crew and claimed to not remember what he had done. Later that evening, and after leaving for a couple of hours, Baggins returned to find police at the house and a claim that someone was attempting to break in. However, the police refused to go in or around the house. They were familiar with the stories, and the house scared them. A couple of weeks later, Baggins received a call from Mika, the previous resident from the 90s, stating her daughter had attempted suicide. He then met with her to ask her if she remembered being in the house. She couldn't remember her time spent there at all. This was common practice with those that visited the house. Multiple claims stated, after spending time in the house, they would end up getting hurt or experiencing some form of misfortune as a result from being there. After speaking with Mika's daughter Erica and learning of her suicide attempt, they determined the wounds in her wrists resembled that of a stigmata. They met with the local priest, and an exorcism was performed on her, and it appeared to relieve her of any demonic force that had overtaken her. After this experience, Baggins received a call from his friend Debbie. She decided to try and reach out to the demon remotely, and experienced what appeared to be a deep voice talking back to her, telling her something bad was in the house. Shortly after, Debbie and her roommate were found murdered by her husband. Dr. Barry Taff, whom had conducted 4,500 investigations, including the Entity case from 1974 that inspired a Hollywood movie based on the events, was invited to the house to look for high levels of electromagnetic or Earth-made geomagnetic energy that could be causing false positive paranormal events in the house. After numerous normal readings, they visited the basement. They randomly started to get spikes in their readings that would come and go. It was at this point Baggins had to remove himself from the room due to a series of bad headaches and his eyes hurting. Upon returning, they realized that it was Baggins that was causing the spike in the readings. A lot of electromagnetic energy was coming off of him. While continuing their reading, something caused Baggins to lunge at the doctor, and at the same time, Taff heard a dog bark that no one else heard. He then complained of feeling dizzy, or that he was going to pass out. They left the basement, and shortly after, he had that feeling again. 
They walked through the house, and Taft continued to experience that same feeling in several different areas of the house. They ended up catching an anomaly on camera that could not be described. Shortly after, the cameraman began to exhibit strange behavior and walked down to the basement by himself. A few hours later, back at their hotel, the same cameraman began to vomit blood and became very hostile. He ran through the hotel halls yelling and taunting whatever had taken over him and demanding to go back to the house. They were able to finally get him to calm down and explain what had happened. He claimed to see a ten foot tall goat man as he exited the elevator. This alarmed Baggins because a week prior to going to the house, he dreamt of a tall goat man breathing black smoke into his mouth. Adam, the cameraman, explained that whatever it was did not want him. It wanted Baggins. Meanwhile, Dr. Taff experienced a blackout and ended up falling to the ground. Upon waking up, He had blood in his ears. He was then hospitalized due to his organ shutting down. They could not determine what was causing his illness. A couple of days later, Adam was still exhibiting strange behavior. He told Baggins to go into the bathroom at the house, break the mirror, and slit his throat. Fearing for his life, Baggins chose to remove Adam from their team going forward to prevent anything further from happening to him or Adam as well. From this point, Baggins wanted to further his investigation. He decided to get the best results. He would lock himself inside of the house alone. They boarded over all the windows and the doors locking him in the house with no way out. Throughout the night, he heard strange sounds coming from all over the house, including the sound of a woman, a low growl coming from the other room, and footsteps throughout the house. At one point, he saw a black mass come out of the wall and come into the room. After that, he experienced a sharp pain in his stomach and developed an issue with his eyes, resulting in him having to wear prism glasses while awake for the rest of his life. After everything he and his crew and anyone else that came in contact with the house had experienced, Baggins decided to tear down the house in February of 2016. Although the house is now torn down, The effects of it are still very present. Adam still suffers from what he experienced in the house. Dr. Taft continues to have medical problems. Baggins' diplopia, or double vision, and the numerous deaths and strange occurrences caused by the house. A local priest claims the land is still littered with demonic presence to this day. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, the debrief. All right, so I feel like 
I feel like we spend like half of our show wondering why people don't move. Well, I mean, the Ammons did eventually move, but they couldn't right. for a long time because each one of the children and uh, and Latoya, not the older mother, the older mother was never possessed, but Latoya and all three of her children were possessed at one point. Yeah, but, and then they, for some reason, stayed there for, it was over a year, right? It was right. a couple of years. Yeah, and I mean, maybe chalk it up to, it, maybe there's something, especially with, with Latoya, the, the mother of the house being possessed, maybe, the, maybe she couldn't, maybe she couldn't leave. And she was being swayed by the demons. Exactly. To stay. And I mean, this house being known for having, at one point, um, one priest that came and visited the house said there was at least 200 demons in the house. So that's, you mentioned like a gateway to, he- to hell. That's they, called like, it, they called it a like portal a to hell. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, okay. basically another vortex at this point. Yeah. Just out of little, well, I guess not little, Gary's actually pretty big, but out of Gary, Indiana. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, other than her being, possibly being influenced by her possession, Gary also is not, you know, known for its high income population there's a solid chance there are economic reasons right that they would have stayed or that would have prevented them from moving yeah i I think that's a lot that's probably what a lot of it comes down to uh gary is very low income um i mean at this point it's there's literally not a nice area in gary yeah and i apologize if any of our listeners are from gary but um, I assume that any listeners from Gary know exactly how bad Gary is. Right, exactly. It's it's one of those. I mean, it it is really, just especially over the years, it's gotten it's gotten way worse. You know, now it's uh, it's it's one of the worst that it's been in a very long time. Um, yeah. You know, so you know that's that's another potential reason that they couldn't move. You know, just due to income, due to it being a low, you know, a low income area. I mean, Zach Baggins himself purchased the property for 35,000. Yeah. You know, which is super cheap. Like yeah, crazy cheap. <laughs> so, it, you know, it appears to have gained a reputation in the area, right? Cuz like you mentioned oh, the yeah. police wouldn't even go into it, so Yeah, they uh yeah, the police, I mean, they, you know, even even Zach Baggins himself tried to get the police to like even just come near the house and they stayed at the road. They wouldn't yeah. even come up onto the yard or anything. Just because they knew what went on there and they they told him he was crazy for being there. And he like they told him like this house just needs to be torn down, like you need to get out of here while you can basically. So this bizarre activity had the probably or it seems like it had the opposite effect on on the market on the market value of the house from our last episode. Yeah, compared to the last one, for sure. Um, you know, and I, I think also just the area that it's in, like, there's no way they would get a whole lot out of it. Right. Um, but, like, I, yeah, I mean, being being such a, a widely known thing, especially through Gary and being so well known even, you know, even 
enough that the police are afraid to go anywhere near. Like, obviously it spiked, you know, somebody's attention, because obviously Zach Baggins bought it. But, yeah. you know, I'm surprised that it didn't spike more more attention to that, or that they didn't try to get more out of it. Yeah. I know he, he probably would have paid it, you know, but... uh yeah, it's it, you know it, it is. Yeah, I think it's just it's just due to the area. Yeah, that makes sense. A house that pr- might have sold for like twenty thousand, maybe they did jack up the price a little bit. For right, that's I don't. That's possible too. I don't know what real estate was like in Gary in twenty thirteen or fourteen. I can't it was, imagine it was. He very bought it high. in twenty fourteen. So, okay. yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so either. And that was also, you know, it might have been a low point. Uh, for reality at the you know at that point as well or that sure. year so it, it just you know with with that and then such a low income high uh you know high crime rate uh poverty yep. you know just so many things in that area that makes it very not appealing whatsoever so yeah, that's w- probably why he got it so cheap yeah okay so pre Zach Baggins there's a lot of like wild shit in this. Like um contrary again to last week's episode, some people think of like some people think that the shadow creatures, the shadow people are like uh messengers sort of or like they're there to warn you that something bad is right. coming. Right? Yeah. And I know you mentioned that they saw shadow people initially before the possessions. Right? Right. So, so that could have been a bit maybe of the, yeah kind of foreshadowing warning or, them. Yeah. that's that's possible um you know but one of those they did see um you know was that also demonic figure that was basically like a shadow figure but it, one they described was the shadow of literally a monster yeah there was no other way to describe it other than a black monster that's probably something um, different <laughs> And then the one of the the woman with the glowing red eyes as well, um, you know, and, and even because uh, I had mentioned when Baggins himself like or locked himself into the house. Sure. Um, he's he's sitting in the bed in one of the rooms and has his camera pointed at the hallway and you see this just black mass just like run across the hallway. And like I. There's, I mean, there's honestly no way to, no way to explain it. Yeah. He was the only one in there. All the doors and windows were completely boarded over. They like, they drilled them in. Um, and even one of the, the police that he had actually, cause he did get one, a, uh, a police, like a watchman, uh, that was very familiar with the area. He actually did come into the house, like talk to him. He knew a lot of the, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the occurrences and stuff. Um, he actually, uh, at one point suffered, um, suffered, what was it? Uh, he ended up uh, getting into an accident shortly after being at the house. Um, but it didn't prevent him from going back because he still came back. Even when like Baggins decided he was going to lock himself in that, that same, uh, the same officer came there and like talked to him and stuff. And, you told him like you're stupid for doing this, but if anything happens, give me a call. That way we can let we can let the fire department know to get you out of there. Yeah. Like you know, so he was he was really cool about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was very blunt. 
Um, but yeah, it's see, I was, I was curious about that. The like misfortune that people seem to have after visiting the house. Yeah. Like, do you think that might be the result of like demonic hangers on like, like, I think so. Um, cause there was actually, uh, there was a point where, uh, the Ammons, they did go and stay with somebody else for a short period of time. Okay. Um, but they still experienced issues there. Uh, like they, when they were at someone else's house? When they were, yes. So something that had obviously attached. Hmm. You know, so like, I I think about that and that's, and that's, you know, kind of one of the, I, did, I didn't put that into the story just because I feel like it was very, you know, very, I guess. Relevant. Required or relevant. Yeah. But. Um, that is, that is another thing though, is yeah, outside of the house when they had stayed somewhere else, I mean, that was still with it. So they were still experiencing these shadowy figures and these voices and, um, you know, hearing footsteps and, and that also made the people that they were staying with not want them to be with them anymore. Yeah. You know, obviously, (laughs) uh, you wear out your welcome a lot faster. Yeah. You wear out your welcome a lot faster if you bring demons along. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, no, and that's like that's like a pretty common dividing line between like a standard poltergeist situation and demonic presence, right? Is like oftentimes yeah. if it's demonic, it will follow you. It attaches yeah. to you and yeah. Exactly. It's not just the house at that point. But I so, mean, if there's 200 demons, there's a pretty yeah. damn good chance a couple of them are going to stray away and follow, right? You know, whoever else comes to the house, or you know, just out of sheer boredom, maybe. Yeah, there but, are plenty of demons left to hold the fort down while you go on a that's on a, a field trip. Statement. <laughs> so, the creepiest part of this story to me is, well, I don't know if it's the creepiest, but the dirt section in the in the basement right where they dig it up and they find what was it like children's children's clothes uh panties Mm -hmm. um they found like an old comb an assortment of couple of other things the most notable being a tray and candles okay so Uh, is there a chance that this house was just owned by a serial killer in the 70s (laughs) that's a (laughs) That's a good possibility. Um, that thought didn't actually cross my mind, but dude, that sounds like the exact <laughs> yeah. same thing you'd find when, like, when they discover someone is a serial killer and has like forty victims, find dead bodies they, in their yard. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And they find like trophies buried in their basement and shit. It they, sounds like they a serial didn't killer. find any actual human remains. Right. Um, they found like a, an old, like a clip on fingernail, like, you know, like a fake fingernail press on and, nail. Yeah. Like yeah. a press on nail, stuff like that. But like I said, the most notable was that tray with the candles. Um, yeah, that's a little that weird. Clearly been lit and everything. It. And right. And this was just under the basement stairs. The whole okay. entire basement was, was filled in with concrete. So mm-hmm. it was like an actual concrete slab, but it was just this dirt patch under the stairs and at one point though um, another thing that wasn't put into the story they found like one to two five gallon buckets full of dirt that had been removed from that area 
sprawled across their their floor when they woke up uh, one morning. Weird. And then they found the muddy footprints coming up the stairs, and they would find muddy footprints all throughout the house all the time. Right. Um, you know, which makes a lot of sense, especially if it's coming from, maybe it's it's coming from that this particular spot. Right. Sure. And the, like I said, and that's where they said the portal to hell was in the basement. Right. See, the dirt patch itself doesn't, that doesn't, I mean, that makes sense to me. Clearly what happened a lot was of they had the have. existing dirt floor basement and they laid the concrete exactly. for the floor after the stairs had already been built. So it left that they didn't bother laying the concrete under yeah, the Yeah, because I mean, why, why would they pull out the stairs and right. you know, fill that in and then put them back in? Yeah, I mean, right. that's, I, I immediately thought the same thing. Like, yep. that makes perfect sense. There's so many basements, especially in old houses, like yep. this one in particular and the layout of the basement and everything. Um, that literally still have dirt patches in them, you know, whether yeah. it's in a corner, whether it's under like a, like an old water heater or something, you yeah. know, most of the basement, you know, most often in an old house like this, the basement's not going to be fully, uh, fully yeah. cemented in. Yeah. We, I mean, I've lived in many houses that had basements like that, that have like sections. Also, there are sections where like the concrete's been like worn away. Right. You know, and it's yeah. just, yeah, it's like 50 year old concrete that's been broken up over time and, and it's just, just down to the dirt. Basically just a dirt slab. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like you can, I mean, you can chalk that up to not being like so fascinating and such. I mean, they, they played it off like, wow, this is hugely significant because there's this dirt patch here where there's no dirt anywhere else in the basement. But I mean, logically think, you know, thinking logically, yeah. there's a reason for it. Sure. But the fact that there's because uh, it was it was like children's socks and yeah. women's panties and like no, just weird, random shit. Yeah, the weird stuff. Being yeah, the weird there. the weird bit of it is what they found in the dirt, not that there was But a also maybe the dryer or the washer was close by at one point. Yep. You know, that's another that possibility. Right. Yeah. And you just so, slowly lose <laughs> articles of clothing all as the time. Yeah, for sure. I find socks, you know, between my washer and dryer that I haven't seen in three months. In three months. Yeah. Like, yeah, it happens. Yeah, I mean, you can clean out like a lint, a lint trap and find, you know, articles <laughs> of clothing sometimes. Like, yeah. No, so. the, the reason why I said that wasn't the creepiest part was because we have children talking to imaginary friends. Yes. Which is so like like child like children being possessed. That's like the crux of the two things that freak you out the most. Yeah, right? uh, there was one where one of the brothers, um, you know, went into that state, like started like growling and like then they all started doing it. It, was, it became like this chain effect uh-huh. where like it was went from like one person to the next to the next, and they would all like roll their eyes in the back of their heads. But uh, at one point, one of the brothers literally strangled his brother, one of the others, and they had to pull him off of him. Jesus. Um, you know, and these were kids that never, you know, were never this way until they moved into that particular house. You know, there's yeah. some some type of influence. You're resonating off of it, basically, at that point. That's crazy. And, like... 
like we you know have mentioned in the past it seems like women and children are are the most vulnerable yeah or the most commonly affected by demonic possession right yeah i i definitely i definitely agree with that and this was a house of only women and children right exactly i mean there were the two boys and the rest were which i'm actually one thing that stands out to me is rosa the mother never i mean she experienced all this stuff you know she she woke up to see these shadow figures to you know woke up to all the mud on the floor and stuff like that uh her her bedroom was in the front bedroom and that was one of the main areas that they would see like this oily substance like bleeding from the blinds and the window and stuff like that um you know so yeah she was she was in like one of the like kind of the prime points of the house but there was never any claim of her being possessed. So that stood out to me for just, I mean, especially if everybody else was all three children and the mother, like why wasn't, you know, why wasn't the grandmother or the mother's mother? Right. Like why didn't anything ever attach to her? See what I'm thinking there is maybe as a member of an older generation, she has a, she had a stronger spiritual life right maybe she was being more you know more religious that i mean obviously i'm making an assumption there but you i mean you could assume that she would be more because i know they they eventually got like the church involved and all that right so yeah and there was i mean at that one point especially where the daughter was like levitating over the bed Right. You know, they they prayed over her until she basically floated back down. Um, and then at, towards the end of them being there, especially when the mother and the children started to experience, you know, being started to experience possession, uh, they started keeping Bibles in the house and started like routinely and regularly reading through the Bibles, just trying to ward off anything bad in the house. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, obviously at some point, whatever was taking over the children stopped and put like its sole focus on the mother on Latoya. That's why, that's why they ended up performing three different exorcisms or exorcisms on her. And that was the first, the first accounts of exorcisms and over 20 years that were authorized. And I, I think it was even more than that. It might've been close to like 50 years or something. Um, but uh, one Gary, and Gary, yeah, there was one yeah. particular priest. I can't remember his name. It wasn't the actual Reverend uh, uh, Maginot that did the exorcism, okay. but it was another one of the priests. And he said, in his 21 years of being there, that's the first actual authorized exorcism he's ever seen. Wow. So, you know, first I mean, and second and third. And third, right. All, all at once. And then, you know, then a couple years later, after, after Baggins buys the house, they, they do another exorcism and, you know, on this, this other girl that comes there because she starts to, you know, basically exhibit characteristics of a stigmata uh, because she, what ended up happening, she ended up trying to overdose on pills or she did overdose on pills. Okay. She also it was claimed that she stabbed herself, but she doesn't ever remember actually stabbing herself, but she developed wounds in each of her wrists. And once they actually did and, uh, like an actual, like 
um, you know, looking over, doing like and kind of investigating into it and everything. That's mm-hmm. when the church was involved. And I mean, immediately they, they made the assumption that it was a stigmata. Right. And so, and that's where they called for an immediate exorcism. Wow. And I mean, it, it was just one, it was one, basically just one sitting. Um, and she, you know, she was there and she was, um, you know, started to basically just exhibit her, you know, weird behavior. Um, but by the end of it, she just jerks down. And after that, she doesn't remember a single thing. And this was the former resident's daughter, right? This is the one from the nineties. Uh, Mika. Yeah. She, she lived there in 96, I believe. Um, it okay. was her daughter. Yeah, her daughter and her, uh, her all three of her kids actually came because uh, they saw that Baggins was there, and they they just you know drove by one day and decided to stop in. Um, okay. Maybe they just knew who Zach Baggins was and just wanted to meet him. Who knows? Uh, but uh, you know, and so of course he openly invites her into the house. He's you know obviously genuinely curious, wants to know anybody's accounts of what happened there. Um, she didn't have any personal accounts. Other than her friend stating that she always felt like there was something in the house, something you know that was watching her, and like just felt that presence, um, but didn't actually have any experiences. Other than the fact that her brother lived in the basement, um, and he ended up getting shot and killed. And in so the basement, she just never. It was. I don't think it was in the basement. It wasn't actually stated where it happened. Okay. I don't think it was in the basement. I think it was just on a separate occasion. So that but... was just another misfortune following right being exactly. in the house. That I'm pretty sure that that's all it was. Okay. Um, you know, but to her that was enough to she just didn't want to go down there. You know, it was yeah, that man. reminder that just that you know that bad feeling like yeah, I mean, it, which makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, you know, so you have you have all that and like her kids are there, like, while they're there, they're asking questions, like, you know, how, to, basically just asking Baggins and how he got into, like, ghost hunting and stuff like that, and then asking, like, you know, just about, like, the house in general and stuff, and they all went down to the basement, but when they were leaving, one of the kids, like, as everybody had gotten into the car, I mean, it's it's bitter cold dead of winter. Sure. And, you know, one of these kids, he's just standing out there, like, staring blankly off into the distance. And they're, like, yelling for him to get into the car. He's not doing a single thing. And then finally snaps out of it and then hops in and they leave. And the next thing, you know, Baggins knows, three weeks later, he's getting a call from Mika saying her daughter tried to kill herself. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, You know, but again, you, you have all these other occurrences as well. Like Debbie, which was one of Baggins' really good friends. She's been on Ghost Adventures before. Yeah. Um, she, you know, she just called him one day and said, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and you know, remotely reach out to this demon and see if I can, you know, get you more information or get a name, you know, whatever else." Just, you know, because that was what she did. Sure. Um, and so you know, she did, she did get, and you can, and if you actually watch it, you can hear the voice and everything, and. You know, and basically it just tells her there's something bad in the house. Um, and then literally shortly after that, she's murdered. Her and her roommate are murdered by her husband. Uh, and like that's, a double a double homicide, suicide. Yeah, like. That's so, insane. You know, you have all of this going on. 
Um, and just as a result from just even looking into the house, um, and then all of these, these crew, I mean, they had already, you know, there was, there were, there were crew members that just quit on the spot after seeing some people experience, you know, weird things at the house. Yeah. Um, Adam being one of the most notable, you know, him, uh, basically just, he, he got really pissed. Uh, you know, he started puking blood. Like there was just a weird, you know, weird point where he just, nobody knows you know where he's ran off to what he's doing and they find him in the basement and he's just basically standing there blankly staring at the wall um you know and they pull him out he snaps out of it they get back to the hotel and then it's just like boom he's you know he's at it again but he's seeing this goat figure right uh, that baggins dreamt of seeing literally a week before they got to the house and this goat man is not like a it's not your it's, not it's, your Kentucky not goat bridge, man. That's for it's sure. It's not a bridge troll goat, goat man. It's more like a demon goat man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, what's it's not our fun goat man. The, what's this dis, this business with the prism glasses? So, uh, so after Baggins stayed there that night in the house by himself, there was this black mass that came out of the wall, um, and you can. This is what I was telling you about. You can see it. It's okay. this figure that like runs and you see it like pan across as he's like, he's like hunched up on the bed and he's like backed up as far as he can get a cr- like up to the wall. Right. And I think this like mass comes into the room and then just overtakes him and he just becomes deathly ill, sick to his stomach. And he gets to the point where his eyes are hurting so bad that he gets double vision the next day thinking it's going to go away. It doesn't. He ends up going to multiple doctors, um, and then they um, they ended up uh, basically just stating that he has what's called diplopia, which is constant double vision. Okay. So these prism glasses allows him to see regularly, like to right. see things as in single, not double. Um, but it's it's a like I mean it's just a going to be a lifetime ailment that he's going to have to deal with now. Um, and he has to wear them obviously while he's awake. Um, yeah. I'm not quite sure how they work. I didn't really dive much into the prism glasses themselves, Yeah, but it just corrects the double vision. And so, and that's as an experience, you know, as a result of, of him in there that night of this mass taking over him, you know, forever now he has double vision and he can get it corrected. Uh, but there's like a high chance that, um, cause it's in both eyes. So there's a high chance that he could go completely blind. It's either okay. that or just wear prism glasses for the rest of his life. I'd probably just wear the glasses. Yeah. I would, I would do the same. Yeah. So what do you think about this case? I mean, are you, are you convinced on it? Are you like, I don't know because it seems like a lot of different people are are have experienced things here. It's it's a good question. Um, so there's a couple things to take into consideration. Uh, so you have you have the multiple reports of, um, first of all, the Ammons family, right. stating they were there numerous times. I mean, they had family, like they, they would literally have like family dinners and stuff where multiple family members would come over. Um, there was one report stating like 
one of the family members is in the bathroom and got thrown against a wall or something like that. That's a, it's a single claim. Right. Because the rest of the family that were there, that came to the house, never experienced anything and stated that the family was always completely fine. There was nothing out of the ordinary. And then you have previous residents that lived there stating nothing ever happened. You know, right. Completely normal. But on the other hand, you know, you have this CPS caseworker that experiences firsthand one of the the youngest child literally growling and you know speaking in this weird uh this weird tone and this random language uh but also then clear as day stating he's gonna kill everybody and then running up the wall backwards yeah what running up the wall backwards yeah so and that's that's exactly how it was claimed. Uh, how the, how they stated it is that he literally like was looking at the or uh, like he, he looked at one of one of the people, the opposite direction, and then turned back and then just ran up the wall, backwards. <laughs> like that's that to me seems very far fetched. But even including the CPS worker, mm-hmm. in a later interview, described it and said, "Yeah, I literally watched the whole thing." Like he just ran up the wall, and he ran up the wall backwards, mind you. That's um, you now, know, and okay, so, ran up, ran up the wall. Ba- Does that mean he was taking steps backward up the wall? Like his yeah. his back was facing the wall, and he was like his back was facing the wall, and he was walking up the wall. Yeah, that's there's something oddly comical about that visual. You know, but like that would scare the shit yeah. out of you. Oh, dude, I know. Yeah, that's like it would that's be bizarre, extremely scary. But I, I know what you mean. Like just picturing it, <laughs> it just <laughs> seems so extremely weird. And just I, yeah, I mean, it seems very hard to believe. Yeah, it really does. Um. So what I think, and you know, and, and kind of looking at that. And so and I'll just give you my kind of thoughts on that. Like, say he's holding on to somebody, right? Right. You know, so like he grips onto somebody as he's running up the running up the wall. So think of, you know, as a child, kids will kids will, you know, hold on to say like your hands or your your arms or something and run, and run up, up your you legs. and do like do a flip. Yeah. Yeah. So I think of it like that. You know, maybe that's the case. Maybe he held on to something as he's running and he got enough momentum, enough speed to literally just, you know, run up the wall because that's not out. You know, that's not impossible. People do that shit all the time. Right. That's what that's where the backwards freaked me out. Right. That's what gives it a different angle for sure. Yeah. Because, you know, growing up, going to hardcore shows, I see in like. It wasn't weird at all to see, like, you know, boys in the pit running and, like, doing flips off the wall, like, running up oh, the yeah. wall and doing backflips and shit. <laughs> all the time. Like, yeah. I mean, honestly. But, like, be- being backwards, that's bizarre. I mean, literally, that's, you would have to be facing yeah. the floor at some point with your feet flat on the wall. It's weird as fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah and that, that was what it just made me, it, it, like, just the same same thought. Like, I mean, if it was if it was face first, I could I could see it. I mean, a lot of people can get a running start and do a flip. 
Like, you know, yeah. but to do to do that backwards, it's it would be extremely difficult. Granted, he's a small child and limber as fuck, I'm sure. Sure. You know, like, but the same time, like, yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, yeah, it makes it a bit more weird. compelling. So do you consider this CPS caseworker, like, probably the most, like, the most sober witness? The most, like, I would think so. You would think so? Yeah, because um, after this, that same CPS worker ended up basically having a meltdown because of everything that she saw okay. and experienced. That uh, she ended up having to go to therapy herself um, and went to therapy for years trying to literally get over everything that she saw. Okay. Um, you know, so I think that adds a little bit more validity to the story, at least to that aspect of the story to me. Um, you know, just because it's such a, just a crazy, a crazy event that you normally, I, I would say, yeah, that's bullshit. No fucking way. But the fact that this person in a very legal, very, very legal role, um, you know, as clearly, you know, clearly states like she 100% saw this happen. She knows it actually happened. There's no, like, no arguing it or anything else. I, I mean, you know, this is in an actual legit report that okay. she made. That this That's happened. what I was going to ask. Like, if, it, if she just said this to the press afterwards or if it was actually written in, like, the report about her visit. Right. No, it was, it was actually reported, yeah. And there were, there were other doctors and things like that, too. Because um, I think this actually ap- happened in a... Uh, um, what well, they were getting checked out at the time because uh, CPS ended up taking your kids away okay. uh, for a short a short period of time, um, you know, and and it's obviously something that never happened up until this point, right? Uh, but the you know they f- thought the mother was unfit at that point and just had to get her shit together, it, but that wasn't the case. Once they saw and experienced all of this, they were on board, you know. Right. So, um, so you have that. You know, so that's that's another thing that kind of aids in in this whole trying to decide if you know kind of how I feel about it because I'm still on the fence. Yeah. Um, I just think there's a lot of distinct, uh, a lot of distinct you know things that have happened, um, that have been documented. There's so many police reports. So many reports on this one house and this one family, too. Um, And also, I mean, so many news reports on this house and this family. Yeah, I know. I got a lot of press. Yeah, you can look up in like the the Indy Star and there's like 10 different articles about it. Um, You know, and so like, uh, like there's just, yeah, so much, so much about it that, you know, I think also adds to it. Um, but there's parts that I don't buy. Like what? And so uh, I'll give you a rundown. Uh-huh. All right. I think there's, there's reasons to explain some things. So first of all, I want to, I want to discuss the, uh, the oil like substance seeping or bleeding from the blinds and stuff like that. Yeah, Cause I have a theory on so, that as well. So I want to hear yours. This is, this is mine. First of all, it's the dead of winter. It's the dead of winter. Previous owners, previous uh, tenants, residents probably smoked pr- pretty heavily. There's probably a tar tar buildup literally on these blinds. 
And when condensation builds up, it's going to create a very oily substance on it. Right. And especially if the if the windows are thin. They're not I'm sure they're not double paned windows. Right. Um I'm sure the insulation in the house is fucking balls, like, you know, it's not going to be good at all. Right. So there's going to be a lot of this condensation building up on this window that also is going to have this same tar build up, same like, you know, nicotine and shit like that just builds up over time. And I mean, because you can you can literally rub something, you know, especially something that gets wet after it's had that buildup, and it it's literally like an oil. Yeah. So that's what I think it was, and which would explain a lot because I mean that's gonna stick and that's gonna stay there for a very long time. They're gonna have to replace the blinds in order to get rid of that. That's true. Um, you know, and and really really clean the windows because I mean that shit doesn't just come right off. Um. You know, so that's what I think that is personally. What do you, what do you think? Okay. So that's your theory might actually be better than mine. Okay. So what I was thinking when you were describing it was cause I've, I have a picture of this house in my head just right. from like, from some of the, some of the, like the worst neighborhoods in Gary that I've seen. Right. And what wouldn't surprise me at all is shoddy construction. Right. So what that's possible. So what came to mind for me is on the roof, you're supposed to put a vapor barrier before you use tar paper. Right. Yeah. And so if Mm -hmm. you, if there's no vapor barrier, that tar paper experiences all the heat of summer. The tar seeps down into the beams, into the ceiling, into the seams, particularly the seams of where the ceiling meets the wall. And then during the winter, that condensation, the same condensation you yep. were talking about, would would allow it to pool up in the corners in the seams and start to drip through. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the exact same. It's kind of the same concept. It's still yeah. the tar buildup. And that's going to, like I said, I, the fact that it's, it's a lot of it comes from the blinds. And that's where it was most notable. Yeah. Um, the, it came from the blinds. Like, yeah, on the windows and stuff like that. They didn't really describe it much on the walls. Okay. Um, but mainly, mainly the blinds. But that's, I mean, that's, that's immediately what I thought. Like, See, you know, that's why I think your, your theory probably is closer to what happened. It was all the smoking. Cause like yeah. who hasn't been in like in a chain smokers house and saw those like oh, blinds yeah. that used to be white that are now like dark yellow, I mean, white walls that are yellow and stuff yeah. now too. I mean, yeah. It, it, and that shit stays and you can't get rid of it. Yeah. And it's also very hard to paint over. Yeah. That's yeah, true. you have to scrub, scrub, like literally scrub the walls and clean them extremely well before you can even paint them. Otherwise, that paint doesn't set very right. well because it has it a layer of oil. Kind of oily, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that was when I first when I first heard that. That was my immediate assumption. I right. I didn't buy the whole like they're bleeding this oil or they didn't word it as bleeding. That was my doing, but you know they're basically like just seeping this oily substance. But no, and it, like I said, and it's also the dead of winter, right? When they're experiencing a lot of this, and I think just that condensation is enough to 
make that just it gets it a little wet and then it's going to start to drip and you know it just yeah and it's gross i mean i've seen that same thing firsthand like yeah you know it's just yeah it's very gross and so i do like that that's what i think it is i do like that description though because it like it makes you feel like this whole story is taking place like in like inside this like beating hell organ you know (laughs) just like the walls the walls are just like seeping with like demon juice. Like, <laughs> Ooh, demon juice, gross. Yeah. Uh, so now that I'm curious, what exactly is demon juice? I don't think you want to know. I think <laughs> you're probably <really> right. <laughs> it's it's got to be yeah. a, a pretty bad mixture. So we have that. Right, so yeah. That's so, what else things, are you skeptical about? Uh, it's yeah. So that's one of my one of my main things. Um. All right. So now that uh, we've kind of gotten off course a little bit, um, just a couple more things that I th- I think more I guess solidify or validate the story a little bit. Okay. Uh, before we kind of get back into kind of uh, what I'm a little bit more skeptic on because I've lost my train of thought there. Um. So a couple of the things. First of all, the dog, uh, the kind of the dog barking and growling sound that they keep hearing. Right. Um, although there's no dogs, uh, they didn't own a dog. They didn't own any animals. Um, but they hear a dog, and they even hear scratching at the door. Yeah. Uh, like the night that Rosa's up watching TV, she hears this dog start to bark, and they've heard these dogs, you know, previously have never never found anything. And she gets up. She gets up to investigate it. I mean, she's looking. She hears it scratching at the door. Opens the door. There's literally nothing there. Yeah, that's fucking weird. Um, so that one. Um, I think I do buy the idea of the kids talking to this, you know, this unknown entity child yes um you know because they they claim to talk and hang out with them a lot you know and they would they would always hang out in this specific closet um so i mean just that i think validates it a little bit it's not like all throughout the house they're not just like hanging out in the room and stuff no they go into this closet to hang out with this little you know this little boy or this entity right that's sorry for the Um, silence that just freaks me out like yeah it's it's creepy as fuck Ugh. that gets back to us talking about those ghost children that are literally so fucking terrifying yeah and as that's a father, why that validates that a bit more for me as a father of young children nothing freaks me out more than like your child like it's almost like you're because there's nothing you can do you know what i mean because the kid is like the front line it seems like like and Children are also more susceptible to a lot of these things than we are. Right. You know, and so, yeah, there's literally nothing you can do about that. It's so creepy. And that's what makes it, yeah, that's what definitely makes it a lot more terrifying, too. And, you know, and they're also going to be influenced. And who's to say that one of these demons in the house isn't this child just manipulating them, trying to... You influence every move and decision that they make by portraying itself as 
something childlike. He's just a friendly, friendly little child. Yeah. Yeah. See, so like, that, like I said, that validates it a little bit more for me. Like when, when my son was first when he first started, like not actually talking, but like kind of babbling. He would do this thing where he would like he would be like mocking speech, right? But he would do it hmm. while looking past you. Ugh. And it freaked me out every damn time. Like you would be, you know, holding him or he'd be in the crib and you'd be like talking to him and he would look like behind you and talk. Yeah. And like every time I'm like looking over my shoulder, like what the fuck is back <laughs> there? <laughs> Dude, I mean, it not, you know, I, I don't have the same experience with children, but like my dogs, like they'll, they will literally be looking you know up at up at me or just be doing their own thing and they'll immediately like look either at the wall or at a corner yeah. or at my staircase and they will both stare Ugh. like what the fuck are they looking at right. i don't know like there's you know i never see anything there but they will like stare intently and i yeah i mean i, I know it's not as comparable but it's still terrifying it's so weird yeah, there's so right behind kids talking to imaginary friends is like the dog, the stereotypical dog dog barking at the empty corner, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's so weird. Oh, and it gets, it gets weird too because like sometimes as I'm working or, you know, because of course I work from home. So I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll hear like uh, my dog Luna, she'll just randomly bark. As something, and she'll either that or she'll I'll just hear her start to growl Ugh. as something, and I'll like, because uh, we have a we have a ring, and you know we have of course security cameras and stuff set up, so I'll always I'll always just double check. I'll even go because my my office overlooks like the front side of my house, so I'll even look out the front side. Yeah, check my cameras, never anything. That's so weird. Um, I even have a camera set up just to just to check on the dogs, so I'll often check that. There's literally nothing. The barking Should is just weird. Be looking off at something. The barking is weird, but when you said growling, I got goosebumps. Yeah, like, it's it's super weird, and ugh. you know it. And I, it, dogs, animals are also more susceptible, yeah. just as children. You know, so that's where that hits a little it hits a little home for me. Yeah, um, and that's where, like I said, I think that that also just makes it a little bit more compelling. Sure. Um. Additionally. I think the footage that Baggins got when he was alone in the house, I think that did it for him. Um, because he's the only one in the house. Nobody is around. All the windows, doors are completely boarded up. Literally screwed in place. I mean, they, they drilled them in. You know, there's no way for it to come off until the next day for a crew to actually take them off, you know, at least take the one off the front door. Um, and then, so he's up pitch. There's no electricity on no heat or anything. Uh, you know, so he's sitting in this cold ass pitch black house and all he has is the night vision from his camera. Uh huh. And he's walking through the house. First of all, he walks over towards where the, uh, um, well, he walks, he walks down to the basement, which I think was the worst move he could make. Sure. And a fucking pitch black house. 
But that, that isn't that isn't even what did it for me. So he walks over to what would be the back door. And the back door, of course, is boarded over. And he hears the sound of a woman talking. Clear as day. And I mean, unless there's literally like somebody, some like hood rat or something maybe off the street that came into the backyard very close to the back door. Maybe. Uh-huh. I think that's reaching. You know, as I think that's reaching more than this is just some unexplainable there. I mean, it almost sounds like a conversation. Okay. Um, and then like one side of a when, conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then when he goes and sits in the bed and he's hearing these sounds, these footsteps, he starts hearing footsteps and knocking around in the other room and you can hear it extremely well. And he like gets in, like he huddles at the edge, like edge of the bed, right up against the wall, because the bed is pressed against the wall. He's in the very corner, and he has his camera faced faced in the doorway, and you see this this black figure just run across the doorway. I mean, perfect. It's it's fucking like a perfect like capture, and it's crystal clear. I mean, you can see the whole thing. It's not just like what you think, like maybe a shadow or something. No. Okay. There's absolutely no way it'd be a shadow because he's not even moving his camera. And there's no now, light. Man, if he was like moving his camera or using his light or something, yeah, that would explain, you know. Sure. But no, not at all. And so I don't know if I buy all of the possession angles and everything else. You know, that that is a little bit harder for me, but I definitely buy that there. I, I mean, I don't think this story is bullshit. Okay. I guess no, and that's I think I guess the question with the with the um the documentary footage and that whole experience the question the real question there is how contrived how made up is is the production that he makes. You know what I mean? Yeah, no I I understand that too. Yeah. And I, I've actually heard a lot of things about the show Ghost Adventures. Like, they apparently, like, he'll have his crew make random noises or hit, like, random things off in the distance sure. and stuff just to add a little bit more... A little you drama, a little spice right, to yeah, it. of course. Sure. You know, they have to do something, like, to keep up, you know, viewers, obviously. Right. So, you know, they're going to they're gonna do all that stuff, which that, that makes sense, because why wouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, they'd be stupid not to. Yeah. Like, otherwise, it's just going to be constant, like, silence and then him, like, trying to provoke what whatever is there like he does. See, and, um, like, not to, like, slander the show or anything. I just, like, reality TV, you can't, you can't really trust it. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah. that's what I wonder about that footage and about, like, the woman talking that's, and all that. So I don't know how convinced I am by those. Okay. That's fair. But the other accounts, yeah, and I and I'll I'll agree with you there. I think you know, like if you if you know watching it firsthand, if you buy into it in the moment, like I think it's very compelling. Okay. But if you kind of look at it from that angle, and the fact that the show is known to embellish and to you know have the crew do these little right. little things just to add more flair and everything, yeah, like that could have been just added in production like you know sure so or added in post and stuff right um so we'll we'll cut that out i won't even i won't even count that okay but with the other things like i said make it 
pretty damn compelling for me. Yeah. Other than, I mean, I think the possibility of the possession, I think, is possible. I don't know that I buy it 100%, but I'm not going to dismiss it. The fact that I at least believe most of the other things that were experienced. Okay. And now would you call what is in this house a demon? Or 200 demons? I I can't say. You know, honestly, I can't say. Um, I would probably not. Do you believe in demons? I mean, yeah. Okay. I mean, I've I've seen I've seen some, you know, black figures, or uh, you know, I've seen figures with pitch black eyes and things like that. That I would I, I would consider those as demons. Okay. You know, in most uh, most accounts and things like that, they're described just as so. Like you know, right. so I would say, yeah, you know, I, I think it's uh, I think it's definitely possible. Okay. See, I'm kind of right there with you, like on this story. It's I feel like we're definitely talking about a haunted house. I think there's definitely some shit going oh, yeah, on here. Without a doubt. Or there was some shit going on here. That tearing down that house is probably the best thing Zach Baggins ever did. Although there there is still a priest and Gary that thinks that the land is still right. the ground littered are with demonic activity. Right, right. Exactly. And that if anything else goes up there, it's gonna be just as bad as Demon House was. Now, see what 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 convinces me a little bit, what or what pushes me toward being convinced about the possession part of this is churches don't do exorcisms; they don't sanction exorcisms willy nilly, oh, especially not these days. Right? It's yeah. I mean, they happen, but it's not something they just do because you send them an email asking. You know what I mean? Like. It's yeah, and that was the thing. They they also had multiple priests come into the house before that, right, and, and that's when it. they decided that it was yeah, it was warranted, right? So that makes me think maybe maybe the possession bits of this are a little more credible. Yeah, but also, I mean, the Catholic Church is very thorough. Yeah, they are very thorough in their investigations. They are. Um, you know, they're very notorious for being extremely thorough and discounting some things that they probably shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, a little too thorough. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I could, I could, I could get on board with that. That's, uh, that does, I think that does make a difference for sure. Yeah. I, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I think we're in agreement. It's, I don't know that. Again, I don't put a lot of stock in what goes into making a a TV show or a a quote right, unquote documentary. I mean, because a lot of those documentaries, you know, they amount to like the they basically amount to like Blair Witch Project or like a found footage movie, right? Like a lot of it is put right. on. So I'm I'm not sure. How, obviously, I don't know how much of what Zach Baggins produces is put on, but I think a lot of it is. I definitely I wouldn't definitely call it. it is. I definitely wouldn't call it like cold hard facts. No, you know I mean? no way. Yeah, I mean he's an entertainer. Yeah, first and foremost, he's an entertainer. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to that for sure. 
He is entertaining. You know, but yeah, it, it, he does it well. Yeah. Like <laughs> he could be a little obnoxious, but he does it well. Yeah. I mean, he's got um, his, he's got his character down. Yeah. That's for sure. But like, other than that, I think, I think there's a solid case here for, for haunting in the least demonic possession at most. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that uh, wraps up episode 12, Demon House. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you. So please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook. At campfire.totsau on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thank you, as always, to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram um, for his song Dying Star. That's from the EP Interstellar. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.